What up, guys and girls? It's Bobby. And Sean. Coming at you live on this Monday afternoon. Apologies for not being able to get the Zoom call set up. Apparently, uh, people are actually working in the work week, so that might not. So it wasn't work, really working for us in Zoom, so we have to do it the old-fashioned way, audio only. Yeah, I was wearing like a really cool sweatshirt and hat combo, but now no one's going to be able to see it. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm also doing the standard Zoom call like in underwear, and I, I was trying to make that maybe like a fun part of the video for you. For oh, everyone, so you can but... stand up and then everyone can see your junk. Yeah, in my quads. You know, hide the snake in the mountain, as they say. Ooh. But uh, this week's episode is brought to you guys by Paragon Recovery. Use the code CRONUS for 50% off. Uh, and if you're military or first responder, hit them up directly for an additional discount. Um, big fan of their night gains and their flame off supplements. Use it every day. Uh, helps me sleep and helps me recover. So use the code CRONUS for 50% I- off. I think we got to also start this week by talking about the elephant in the room. We have a doctor on the podcast now. This is true. Dude, congratulations. Very anticlimactic uh, graduation. We, uh, I got my degree, I guess last Monday, actually. Uh, I was awarded my degree because I asked them to give it to me because, uh, our technically our graduation isn't until May 30th, but due to, I don't know, like what is like the processes in like the army and like hrc but i can't move until after i get my degree which doesn't make sense to me because it's just a random date that they picked so i just asked them let me graduate and they just gave me my degree early so i am now able to move i got movers scheduled for friday so i will be moving back out to washington on saturday of this week Dude, I'm bummed for you not being able to have, like, a big graduation. I wanted to come down and see him. We feel like we've been talking about it for, like, a year or two now. You know, finally getting that uh, piece of paper and, you know, what that ranked for you so far as all the schools and selections you've been to and where that ranked, uh, you know, within those graduations. And so I know it was a big deal, and I'm I'm sorry that you couldn't have the actual, like, you know, walk across. uh, Do they do, like, a hospital gurney? you walk across for your for your degree yeah i think they actually you get in like a wheelchair and then you like wheel up to the stage and then like they like lift you up on the stage you know uh yeah i'm, I'm kind of bummed that i don't get like the pictures in my like regalia you know get the doctor's regalia uh they so i didn't get pictures taken didn't get the full graduation experience but it is what it is uh i'm just excited to just get out of new jersey and to start residency and to move into the new house and uh, just get on with my life because well, last... you're going to be able to eat for free on the drive out because mcdonald's mcdonald's gives out a lot of money to uh current service members and i say service members not you military pieces of shit but the doctors and nurses uh, they're giving out tons of free meals so bobby you're going to eat very healthy as you Cross this continent of ours. I know it's gonna be I'm not looking forward to the food on the trip because pretty much west of the Mississippi is just fast food and that's all you can eat. Trash, such trash, dude. I do not envy you in in the slightest. I tried to get like healthy food at some gas station, just like nuts and fresh fruit, and then I just I bit the bullet and I think I had McDonald's three times. I had Taco Bell once in ohio columbus ohio i believe is where uh, i had the taco bell i left a yelp review it was so bad 
so yeah, fast food absolutely blows. And I think that's technically isn't that east of the Mississippi? Isn't Ohio? Yeah, I guess Ohio is east is east of the Mississippi. Yeah, once you're in, I think once you leave the Atlantic Northeast, then you're completely screwed. Yeah, pretty much. And then uh, so it'll be a good move. I'm planning on making a decent amount of money because we're doing a partial ditty because uh, we got to tow uh, Christina's car. And then we have movers come on Friday just to grab all the furniture just so I don't... Because we could technically do it all by ourselves, but I really don't feel like driving separate, especially cross-country, you know? So I think we're just going to... We're just have the, the movers do the majority of the stuff and just take a little bit of the stuff in her car and then just tow the rest. Dude, I feel like driving a box truck across the country was an experience that I don't need to replicate anytime soon. And it's just so loud and it's slow. Mm-hmm. And it gets like 10 miles to the gallon. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those things. If the Army's going to do it, make the Army pay for it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But it's cool. You know, we actually have graduation on Thursday. The 14th is our actual graduation day. But it's uh, going to be uh, like a digital online commencement ceremony, which I just like do not give a fuck about. I'm definitely I'm pretty sure I'm not going to watch it because I just don't care enough to watch it. Who's your commencement speaker? I don't know. I have no idea. They didn't get anyone cool for you? Like, Barack Obama's not coming to talk to you guys, or George Bush? You didn't get a, a past president? Yeah, I have no idea. It's not West Point. I'll put it that way. I know that Rowan, like Rowan University, their commencement speaker last year was, like, some guy, like a local celebrity, like, wasn't even a national celebrity. <laughs> I think my speaker was Betsy DeVos for for undergrad. For undergrad, really? Yeah, mm. um, or maybe my sisters. My sister and I both went to Lehigh. She graduated three years after me, and I can't remember. I feel like it was her. It was it was a it was a female CEO, and I want to say it was of Dupont. So I think it was Betsy DeVos. Duvos, I, I don't know how you pronounce her last name in the French style, but I think that's who uh, spoke at either mine or my sister's graduation ceremony. Uh, I almost missed mine because my friends were all assholes and decided to wake up late. But yeah, I don't really, I don't think I've ever cared about a graduation except like ranger school. Because uh, it's like, it seems like one of those things like, you just have to do. It's yeah. like compulsory. Uh-huh. You don't get much. I don't get much uh, joy out of it. Was that Mary Kondo? It does not sparkle joy. Oh yeah, which does not sparkle joy. Get rid of. No, this would. I was looking forward to it. this. Would be my the third most important graduation for me. The first one being West Point. The second one being Ranger School. And the third one would have been Med School. No way. You had West. You had your undergrad uh, ranked that highly. Yeah, man. The West Point graduation was probably the, the, one of the happiest days of my life. I'll be honest. Damn, Bobby. Sorry. Damn, Dr. Bobby. Yeah, I was just like, it was a great, it was a great day. Because, like, West Point was a fucking bitch just to make it through the four years. Uh, So, at the end of it, it was a very fulfilling um, experience being able to, you know, walk on the stage. Biden spoke for us, which was kind of, which was whatever. Um, Did he touch your butt? No, I don't think I had. I don't think I bought. I shook Biden's. I forget who handed me my diploma. I think it was like, like the super, the superintendent or somebody. 
but just the the whole ceremony of like West Point graduation was like you know, it's West Point graduation. What do you think of the new superintendent or not new superintendent? He's been there for a couple of years, but I don't think he has a cab or a tab. Yeah, I don't. I mean, everybody. I mean, the superintendent is a um, it's your last duty assignment as an army officer, so take that how you will. But I don't remember the last couple of con- or superintendents haven't been like kind of whatever. I feel like it's one of those things that, like, when you watch an Army commercial, and I get that the Army commercials have sucked as of late, but the most recent ones are awesome because they're all, like, featuring soft. They're made by guys that were in the 75th Range Regiment and Special Forces, and so it's that, like, bang, bang energy that you watch and just want to go be, like... A killer. Some saw gunner, yeah, in, in, in one of those formations, but... Like before, or before they did the Avengers snap type thing uh, with like the Apache flying through different scenes, uh, the Army commercials were awful, and they'd always advertise like just such weak branches. Like I don't know too much about the other branches. I just feel like they all support the infantry, and I'm gonna just think about that for the rest of my life. But I don't know, like why. Why wouldn't you want, like, the leader of West Point, the, you know, leader of the Army, you know, like a, a General Milley type, to be a tabbed, double-tabbed, triple-tabbed dude with, like, a different color beret just to, like, prove a point that the pinnacle of the military are people that don't chase mediocrity? And I'm not saying that the current superintendent is at all mediocre. I'm just saying... As a young officer, there were a lot of things that individuals can do to separate themselves with nominative positions and competing against peers. And that's just one of those things, like, I feel like it should be instilled in every junior military officer and soldier for that matter, that you should go and try to chase greatness and excellence and never be happy with the status quo. So I just don't understand, like, why that's not a larger pressing message that whoever's running the army's media department is you know not been focused on up until the last like 12 months for sure i think well i will say that the commandant is usually pretty high speed i know the current commandant was like the dcg at 82nd uh he definitely has a tab but i know they've had some pretty high speed commandants like the com the com is always like the more uh relatively illustrious career because of the commandants, that's like a super nominal position to be the commandant at West Point. And then that's usually like a, the, your first like general officer assignment. And then you go on some like really, you know, high speed nominal positions from there. Wasn't the last superintendent, is that the right word, superintendent? That's what you called him? Call him or soup. Is it, is the soup. Soup. Wasn't that dude like the commander of the 25th ID? Uh, Huntoon? I don't know. I thought I saw that somebody commanded like the 25th ID and then took over there like you always saw maybe it was the commandant he'd always do push-ups with you know the the cadets in the back and you know whenever army scored a touchdown always rushing never throwing he'd always be doing push-ups next to you know all the cadets getting rowdy always Mm -hmm. wearing like the 12th man shirt i I couldn't i didn't know enough about west point to know who that person was he was just a gray-haired you know individual just getting after i was like oh if that's their their soup as you call it doctor Mm -hmm. Uh, then that dude seemed pretty pretty cool to get after it with a bunch of his students. Yeah, no, the last soup was pretty good. Uh, General Caslin, he was pretty, he was a good, he was like a 
what everyone seemed to like him as a soup. I didn't have any experience with him because I graduated. Uh, he came after I graduated. But he was like an infantry guy, had a tab. I think he commanded the 25th ID. That was the last superintendent. Uh, oh, yeah. Then that's the same guy we're talking about, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, But, like, the commandants are, I think, a little bit more illustrious. Yeah. Okay, I get that. Yeah, it might be, like, that next, you know, here's your here's your one star. Instead of making you pull some job at the Pentagon for a year, mm-hmm. we're going to let you do this. And then you're going to go take over you know, as a DCGM for the 82nd. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to think of some other light infantry divisions that would probably be in line for that kind of a thing or, or go be a DCG yeah. over at JSOC. Like, uh, for example, one of the commandants a couple comms ago, General Clark. Do you know who General Clark is? Yes. Yeah, so he was one of the... So the commandants, like, he was legit as fuck because he was in the 75th, 82nd. Um, and now I think he's CENTCOM or SOCOM right now. I think he's, I thought he's SOCOM. Wasn't he, wasn't he also CAG? Yeah, I want to say it was CAG too. No, he is, so he's right now the commander of SOCOM. But like the commandants are, I think, way more, uh, more illustrious than the superintendents are, generally speaking. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty neat how they bring people like that in. I mean, but we just talked about it earlier this week because... You know, as influencers and doing our TikToks, people can be pretty mean out there. And I just don't get some of the hate, not that we've received, because I generally think most of the people that do the program, follow the program, are trying to get after and improving themselves. But you always see a lot of hate on other people's accounts when, you know, they might put something up that's, you could consider like being a hardo or, more motivated than the average person but at the same time it's like where do you draw the line between just ripping on somebody and covering your own insecurities or honestly bringing something to the table that the person already doesn't know about themselves yeah i I just i don't get it yeah i've definitely noticed that a lot recently on like social media and i actually started calling people out on social media too because like i'm just getting tired of like people just saying like trying to be like edgy and think they're being funny by like talking shit about people that you know are trying to do like the right thing and trying to do like impressive things you know so i started actually calling people out on social media just because it's like i'm just tired of people supporting or thinking it's funny or like you know to be commendable to talk shit to somebody else over online you know and it's like of all places of all places yeah and it's the worst thing too when it's people that I would say have had rather mediocre careers, mm-hmm. if mediocre is even the level that they've Achieved. risen to. Yeah. But it's a bunch of people that are just salty. I, I generally don't think you'll find a happy person being that mean spirited because things like that would not bother them. I think it's a lot of insecurity that you see people when they post something that's tearing down somebody for going to ranger school being proud of being a ranger like we've talked a lot on the podcast in the past that you know there's difference between being ranger qualified and being in the 75th ranger regiment but at the end of the day those are two things that you still have to completely bust your ass to get and there's a lot of people that will fail doing it and at least those people gave it a shot and then there are people that have failed at it multiple times gone back multiple times to finally be successful and it's like that's just the definition of perseverance. But then somehow 
that deserves a whole bunch of animus from people online that have never done anything difficult in their lives and just think that because they can call someone out for being proud of it, they're somehow better. Like, I don't know. It's, it's like paradoxical. It does not make sense. Yeah, I think it's just like like you were saying about the insecurities. People have like these insecurities about their own careers or their own achievements that when they're faced with the knowledge or the fact that somebody else has achieved more than them or has become more successful than them, they just kind of, you know, end up being mad or, you know, subconsciously feel anger towards themselves or disappointment for themselves. And that manifests as anger or resentment outwards to other people that, you know, have no reason to deserve this, you know, resentment or anger directed towards them. Yeah, it's like in 1969-1970 after the U.S. successfully landed on the moon, and I will say that we successfully landed on the moon, the Soviet Union was like, I never wanted to go to the moon anyway, comrade. You're like, okay, yeah, you're lying, you're full of shit, we know you did. You know, and years later it comes out that they were just massive failures, and that's the reason why they gave up their space program, and then like Reaganomics and going through, you know, the 1970s and 1980s. But to sit now and just rip someone apart for a couple of, like, heart buttons that get pushed next to your comment, it just makes zero sense. It's one of those things that I just wish Instagram completely got rid of commenting and liking on all posts whatsoever because it just fuels these incels and these trolls, many of whom can join the military and use the uniform as a shield for the rest of their lives, even though, you know, they were worthless officers or worthless soldiers. For sure. And, like... And I'll call people out on Instagram all the time, and it's like, I have nothing to hide. Like, you can see my name. You can see everything about me in my Instagram bio. My profile is private, but, like, you can see, like, where, who I am. You can look me up online. You can Google my name. You can find me. And if you want to talk to me in person, you can find me at Madigan. You know, like, you can find me in person. Like, there's, I have nothing to hide. If you, got, you can talk shit to my face, talk shit to my face, and come see me in person if you want to do that. But I won't stand for people talking shit online and hiding behind these fake profiles or, like, you know, like these guys who try to pretend that they're some high-speed individual, but they have not done anything exceptional in their careers at all. I just hate it because guys just love to talk shit without nothing to back it up. Oh, it's 100%. And, you know, when they get out of the military, too, it's like all of a sudden the switch gets flipped and it becomes this, I'm going to wear, uh, you know, an ops core. I'm going to wear this fancy kit. And I think we actually had a podcast where we talked about if you get out of the military, some things to avoid. And I'm not saying avoid going and being a member of some gun club or buying weapons. Like that's within your constitutional rights to go to the range and do whatever. But you left the military where you had the opportunity for your entire career, minus for like, again, junior officers out there and some enlisted personnel where you have to do a couple of years before you can go and assess into some organizations. But you had all this time where you could have gone and done something more than just sitting on your ass and just doing the next thing that, you know, you had an opportunity to do because it's like a bureaucratic system. And then to get out and act like you're this high-speed killer going to all these CQB ranges, it makes absolutely zero sense. And I, I hate CQB ranges. We're going to get into that today because we're going to talk about, like, tips to be successful at iBullock. And one of the things that I'll just say right now is you should not be focusing solely, exclusively, or with... I would say less than 10%, I mean, more than 10% of your focus at one of these schools on like close quarters marksmanship, close quarters combat, because it is just not the standard. We're not in Iraq right now. 
So for all these like sexy profiles that you see where guys are doing different room clearing uh, procedures, like unless you're on a raid force and you're doing that day in, day out in some of the soft organizations, dude, you're going to be sitting 300 meters from a target on a support by fire and no one's going to give a shit that you can do these ready up drills and you're doing this like left look, right look, okay, left again, look back at my heel, make sure that I'm in the right posture. Like nobody's going to care about that in real combat because you're never going to get that close except in a very few circumstances. So like that's my soapbox. You're going to hear about it more in a little bit, but I dislike when people get out of the military, act like they're soft uh-huh. and have avoided it their entire career. Yeah, it's like uh, everyone, what's it? Everybody want to, what's Ronnie Coleman say? It's like, everyone want to be a bodybuilder, but nobody want to lift heavy-ass weight. And same yes. thing, it's the same idea. It's like, everyone wants to say they're an operator, but ain't nobody want to go to selection and, and actually be an operator. Yeah, and we we were talking about it yesterday. Uh, both Bobby and I went on, you know, our long aerobic runs for the week. And upon finishing, we both were communicating about our general paces that we were holding and very comfortable and when our conditioning in the last two years has been so heavily focused on like the anaerobic side of the house with testing some of uh, the different running things that we've got going on to switch over now to more pure cardio it's like I don't know how people fail a five miler like I have not run longer than five miles in two years Mm -hmm. three years and then in the last two weeks, my mileage has gone up like exponentially, but I could go and bust out a sub 40 minute five mile right now if I had to. And in the last two years, all I've been doing are quarters and 800s on like a couple of days of the week and some short tempo runs. I don't understand how you f- fail a five miler. Yeah. It kind of blows my mind. Like, like, like you were saying, I haven't, this, I haven't started running. I've only been running for like a month now. I started running like on April the 1st, I started running and then just like, like four weeks of running, uh, the improvement has been insane. Like on one of my runs last week, I ran like nine miles at an eight minute pace, you know, and that's like, and like even before that I was still running like 10 miles, like doing the army 10 mile and I'm still running at a ranger standard. And that's like not even training. So I like, I, I it's, it just blows my mind sometimes how guys can't pass an APFD two mile or, you know, a fucking five mile. Like, and you, if you can't run eight minute miles, for like that long i don't know man like i really don't know yeah i guess we can kind of like segue into the the eye bullock prep side of the house because i would say among all the things that you can do before showing up to be successful at that school fitness is number one it is a hundred percent number one not reading 7-8 321 390 being able to go through the ranger handbook and quote chapter five you seem to show up and just physically crush people because most of ranger school is just fitness embracing the suck being able to put different weights on your back and just go and that's that's all ibolic is ibolic is a as an extended pre-ranger where you're going to learn a couple things that you know you'll be able to pass on to a platoon uh, i.e. like a communication skill set and that's about it and learning how to go through the op board and ensure you're appropriately, you know, tasking those subordinate units, something that is, is actually execution, executable. But showing up and not being able to pass the five-miler, like, it, it physically pains me 
when I have to run slower than like an 810 to an oh, 820 yeah. <laughs> because I have to stay within like zone two to like low zone three on my runs. Like I sit there and I'm, I'm still running by people in Central Park and it's got great hills, by the way, which I, I never knew uh, prior to moving to the city. But I'm still flying by people. And when I get passed by someone that I know is just jogging, it pisses me off because it's like, dude, I run faster than this. I have to stay here. Like I'm being prescribed this zone mm-hmm. so that in three months from now, you know, I can run maybe like an eight flat consistently for a marathon after doing some biking and some swimming. But anything other than that, like I, I would rather just be crushing the pavement and, and picking up speed where I could be. I it just, I don't understand how you don't do that. Yeah. I mean, I can, I know, I can know where I came from is that I just didn't like running until I decided to go to Ranger school and Ranger regiment. And I was like, I actually need to be a runner now, you know? So like, I never had problems like passing APFDs or passing the five mile. But like, once I had decided to go to Ranger school, I was like, all right, I actually need to start doing cardio and just not lift weights all the time. Cause you know, you get sucked into that, uh, the, uh, the lifting mindset of things and getting as strong as possible, which doesn't right. really, which doesn't really, you know, jive well with army fitness. And they kind of, I mean, it sucks cause you, aren't going to, you know, you're not going to be as strong as you possibly can when you're running that much. But at the same time, if you want to do these things, you, there are certain things you have to do in order to do, to be successful at certain tasks. Right. And fitness is, is so crucial, uh, in, in that entire equation. Um, so I guess what we'll focus on is, and we've kind of just done that is fitness. So when you're going to, uh, iBolic, you know, in the three months, four months before you get there, do like a ranger prep program. It can be Cronus Fits. It can be one of the other million ranger prep programs out there. But you need to show up ready to not only max the APFT, uh, come close to maxing the ACFT, and you need to absolutely crush the RPFT, like without a shadow of a doubt. You need to be running a 35-minute or faster because one of the problems that I find with iBullock over – what was 16 weeks for me, and I think they might have extended it now, is that sometimes your fitness is going to be severely impacted because your platoon trainers are just finishing MCCC. Fitness at MCCC is an absolute joke. It's all a matter of what small group you're in and who your small group PT leader is or if that dude is motivated or dudette is motivated to get after it after PT hours. So you could have a platoon leader, this captain, that is pretty garbage and it's probably ranger qualified, but you know, it doesn't mean that six years later they're, they're good to go when it comes to fitness. So showing up the first couple weeks of iBullock are all geared towards team and squad level events. You'll go and do some individual training with marksmanship. You'll take a diagnostic APFT um, and you'll start rucking. And you'll get assigned all of your gear. And the general way that iBullock used to do its ruck progression was about every two weeks, you would have an increase in two miles uh, on a ruck. And so the first range we went to was a flat range for qual. And it was like a, I would say, two to four mile ruck with literally everything that you're given at uh, CIF. And they run you to the range all around Fort Benning. So you get motivated, you get there, you qualify, and then you're, you're back. 
And then a couple weeks later, usually around the same time that you're doing something with live fire training is when you'll do like a six miler, then an eight miler, uh, then a 12 miler. Our 12 miler was, I want to say a month before we went to ranger school and that coincided with the platoon live fires. Uh, and then you'll have about a 16 to a 20 mile movement once you finish the combined live fire and what is essentially like a mountain phase 10 day FTX. So if that, if that has not changed drastically, that is generally the rucking progression uh, and your field training. And it's about every other week that you, you go to the field for some sort of a range, whether it's sticks, live fires, uh, or general you know, machine gun theory, uh, indirect fire classes. And so that's kind of an overview of what I Bullock is. Uh, Bobby, what was, what was F.A. Bullock? Was, was anything similar there with what you guys did? So F.A. Bullock is obviously not as physical as I Bullock because, you know, F.A. Bullock, you have maybe five guys from a class that get, that get a slot to go to ranger school, maybe. Uh, so all the PT at F.A. Bullock is going to be run at the platoon level or at your, like, uh, your training, your education, whatever the platoon level it is. So it really depends on, like, who's leading the PT. Like, when I – but they also have the pre-ranger PT program at F.A. Bullock which I thought was pretty fucking good uh, when I was there. The FA, pre, FA Bullock pre-ranger PT was run by like FA triple uh, C captains who were ranger qualified. And basically, you know, you did like your runs and like the, like the progression of to like train off a ranger school. It's a great PT program. Um, so I'd highly recommend anybody that even if you're not interested in going to ranger school, it's okay. But even if you're not, you know, interested in going to ranger school, you can definitely do the Ranger PT program, which will definitely get you in really good shape, uh, regardless of whether or not you want, to, you want to go to Ranger school or not. And then from there, just like in iBullock, you have your, your platoon level or platoon PT in the mornings, and that's always dependent on who is leading the PT. So I, like, uh, I was I influenced that PT program pretty heavily, where I like chimed in a lot and kind of structured and influenced on what we should be doing. So we still got decent PT at the platoon level, but the F, the Bullock uh, pre-ranger PT was really good, and I'll definitely recommend doing that. That's great. Yeah, it, people have asked us, is I Bullock like a good pre-ranger program? I would say it is. I thought for the individuals in my I Bullock class, we had a hundred and sixty, I think, show up to ranger school back in what is this now? We've graduated in two thousand twelve. August, June, July, June, uh, and 12 of us went straight through. And I can say of the 12 that went straight through and then the couple that graduated then within, you know, the next phase, those were generally the same dudes that all went to the 75th or ended up going uh, SF. And I can think off the top of my head of six guys out of that 12 that I just mentioned uh, that are either still in the 75th or currently, you know, active team leaders on an ODA somewhere, which is, I think, really impressive. But I think it's generally, that's a that's probably a trend that you'll see. So when you show up to iBullock, what's going to be really, you know, it's like showing up to a, a school for the first time and you don't know how fit the other people are. You know you're worried because you want to be the most fit person there. You think that everything is built around fitness and you're right. And you're 100% correct. That's exactly what it is. It, it's like a, a top dog mentality because the people that show up that are in the best shape are the ones that knew what they had to prepare for 
they showed up ready to take the test and they aced it. Those are going to be the same individuals that when they're learning the machine gun theory, when they're learning uh, tactics for platoons, squads, and teams, they're retaining all that information. They're not going out to downtown Columbus every weekend or Auburn or Atlanta and getting absolutely hammered or looking for their first girlfriend because they're coming from West Point. Uh, and they're, they're really focusing on just understanding the tactics that go into being an effective platoon leader because if you can manage the tactics, if you're physically fit, then I promise you when you get to ranger school, you're going to look at it and go, this is not physically that challenging, and it's going to be these small mental games that you have to continue playing with yourself in order not to get major minuses for something stupid, paying attention so you're not falling asleep. Like Those are going to be your biggest challenges, not whether you can issue an order. Um, I think in order to finish like top 10% in the class and on the commandant's list, I don't know if that is something your battalion commander looks at. I always hope it is because at every single one of the schools I've been to, I've always made it a goal to finish top 10%. I've always tried to finish as the top graduate. Uh, but you know, you lose to some really great people once you start competing against them and realizing them. Uh, one of the guys that went through straight through, uh, you and I both know him. I won't dox him here. Uh, but the dude's an absolute beast. He can't sing worth a shit. I promise you that when he had to sing the infantry song, uh, it was very tone deaf. But the guy's a, a beast. Like, he's one of those individuals that if he were to be like, Sean, do you want to be a rifleman in my company or be a ranger in my company? I'd be like, you bet your ass I do because they're just that good at what they do. So finishing top 10%, I think says a lot about you in the long run when you start seeing your peers that are in that same group. They're the guys that are going and taking these nominative positions. And uh, one of the generals that I work for as an aide said that he still has his uh, iBullock, you know, graduation pamphlet. And he showed me every single dude that was a top 10% graduate. And like half of them were either general officers, brigade commanders, uh, or battalion commanders, you know, serving with, with pride and with distinction. And those are the guys that elevate in ranks. Like if you're just a mediocre and even bottom feeder, like you're just going to exist and then you're going to get out and be kind of like one of these internet warriors like Bobby and I were talking about how you used to do something cool or you finished a ranger school one time, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah, 100%. I think that's a great um, point to make is that, you know, if you have a top performer is going to be a top performer no matter what, you know, what um, what branch you are or what field you go into. So like if you have the self-motivation and the drive to push yourself to achieve or to be the best, you know, that's going to be that's like a personality trait that you can't really um, train in somebody like you either have. I'm a firm believer that you either have it or you don't. And you have to, and then the people that do get the ten percent are going to be the ones that are going to keep pushing themselves to get better, because they because they understand that you know they don't want to be mediocre, they don't want to be average, you know, like nobody wants. I mean, not you're not going to see someone in the seventy fifth. You're not going to see someone in SF or any of these other like very specialized units that are going to be okay just passing or just getting by. Like these guys, just by. It's not so much like getting 10% means that you're going to succeed. It's just the fact that you have the mental drive and the personal drive and the discipline to get the 10%, top 10% that indicates future success. You know, it's not like just saying that just because you're common on this list, you're going to be a general. No, it's just because you are willing to work hard to get the 10%, the top 10% indicates that you're going to be willing to drive and to push for those, you know, more selective positions 
to push yourself to the next level, to keep driving and making sure to get better. But it's like in, you know, and I had the same thing in F.A. Bullock. Like, I was Commandant's list. Um, but when I, during F.A. Bullock, like, you were saying, I took it seriously. You know, I went home. I did my homework. I studied. I learned what I was supposed to learn. And then I got Commandant's list because I put in the time and the effort to get Commandant's list. And then, you know, a lot of guys, when they get to Bullock, because that's like the first time that you get to be like an adult. You know, you get a, you have a, a paycheck. You know, you have the freedom to do whatever you want. And then once, like, guys have that freedom, they lose, They just don't have the discipline, you know. And that's what I think is one of the biggest determinants of your of your success is whether or not you have the discipline to hold yourself accountable for your own actions. Because, I mean, like, I would, I would have loved to, you know, gone home every night and, you know, gone to the bars and drank every night. But, you know, I put the time in and turn Bullock to learn properly, to learn the actual doctrine, to put to actually learn how to do it correctly. And then that manifests in, you know, being good at your job, which then manifests in you getting better jobs, which then manifests you in getting better evaluations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like a, in my mind, it's just like, you got it. It's like a, it's like a snowball. Like once you start building up and it starts at the beginning too, it's like, cause everybody that goes in the bullock is the same. Like you're all fresh second lieutenants. You don't know anything. So everybody starts with a clean slate as a second lieutenant. Nobody cares where you came from from undergrad. Nobody cares what you did in undergrad. But it does matter as soon as you pin on those second lieutenant bars, that's when it matters what you do in the military. And that's how it transfers and snowballs and gets bigger and bigger. And that's another thing that um, you're mentioning about, like, reputation, too. Um, during Bullock, uh, I, you know, you want to get along well with your peers because they are your peers uh, for the rest of your Army career. Uh, doesn't matter what field you go into, whether you stay in or get out. Especially if you stay in, like those are going to be your peers, and then people that you piss off in Bullock or people that you, you know, kind of fuck over in Bullock or in Ranger School, they're going to remember that shit in the future when it comes down to it. So uh, keep that in the back of your mind too. That if you uh, are disciplined, but if you rub people the wrong way too, you know that's not going to be you, you know, spell success for you in the future as well. Oh, one hundred percent. I still remember the two West Point graduates. Uh, that I've run into now numerous times since graduating and going our different career paths. And, you know, they've gone on and done some also uh, equally impressive stuff in the military. But I still look at them and I'm still like in the back of my mind, very angered because I got a major minus because they both fell asleep during a patrol. And because they fell asleep, like I was assessed that penalty. And I was like, you know what, I'll make sure that this doesn't happen again. But like, damn it, guys, like, you've really, you know, fucked me over because you didn't have the discipline to stay awake. So that that angered me. And then kind of what you said, like, these are going to be your peers. I'd say what I, I was way closer with a lot of my peer group at uh, MCCC because that was, I think, one of those moments where like, OK, we want to stay in at least for another three to four years, do company command by that time, you can start separating yourself, whether or not by that time you have the Ranger tab, you have a CIB, EIB, a deployment, what units you've tried to go to, what units you have gone to, and what experiences you have. And so you, you will generally find it much easier once you get to MCCC to really find a peer group. But at Bullock, it's really challenging because you just don't know anybody. And Bobby mentioned Dr. Bobby about like going out and drinking. And this is, you know, I might be on the extreme end of this, but I only went out at Bullock a couple times. I went out to Auburn to see uh, an Auburn versus Alabama basketball game. 
I went uh, out to St. Louis just a couple of times, uh, and that was it. And I really didn't drink at all or go downtown Columbus just because I didn't think I'd earned the right. Like, I'm at Bullock. My life as an infantry lieutenant doesn't start until I'm standing at Victory Pond. And then that was like the first time. And afterwards, you're like, okay, I've done the bare minimum to make myself a qualified infantry officer. I can take a breath and it's going to start all over again. Because I also looked at if I went out and I drank on a Friday or Saturday night, that was going to completely crush the workouts that I had geared for the weekend in order to prep to, for, you know, ranger school or prep for the week that we were going to spend in the field when you weren't going to be getting the same kind of fitness in. So everything has a secondary and and tertiary effect where if you go out and you're having fun, there's probably something that might suffer. And while there might be individuals that can go and do that, and I definitely had friends that were going out way more than I was and they were still successful and are still very successful, but it was just like, is that a risk that you want to take while your whole sole purpose for being at Fort Benning is being a successful infantry officer and eventually graduating ranger school. Like that's the expectation. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's just like, I think it boils down to just discipline because at the end of the day, as an individual, you know what the right answer is. Like you have the voice in your head that tells you that you know what the right answer is. So the question is, are you going to listen to the voice or you're going to listen to the other voice that tells you to say, fuck it and and do what I want to do. You know, are you able to, to to delay gratification in the pursuit of a greater greater goal? And that's I think I think that's like a perfect example of how you become a high performer. Is that the ones that are high performers are the ones that are able to delay gratification, are able to see the big picture, and able to push themselves harder and delay the gratification? Because you know, it's it's fun to go out and drink. Like I went, I drank a, I won't say a lot, but I went out a decent amount in Bullock. Um, but I, in order to do that, I made sure that I did all my work beforehand in order to, to have that gratification of going out and spending, having some fun time, you know. But that's like the discipline, absolutely, and having the discipline to understand that there is a larger picture, and that you, it's not just you just have to, gra- you just only have to graduate. No, it's you have to graduate so that you can become an, a successful army officer and a master of your prospective fields, you know. And that's how you have to take it seriously and that it's it's truly your job and your profession at that point, like once you get in there and that you have to treat it as such and you can't fuck around and just say, it's I'm okay with being average or I'm okay with not knowing it because I'll learn it in the future. No, because in the future, it will boil down to like life and death at certain, you know, and if you can't, if you fuck around in Bullock and then not learn it properly, like you're only setting yourself up for failure. And it's not just you setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself, your subordinates up for failure too. And especially in, you know, God forbid, like in, in the, like deployed state, and you make the stupid, like a simple mistake that you learn how to do this in Bullock, and then you get somebody killed. Like that's the last thing I would imagine um, I would want to happen is to, you know, write that letter or tell somebody that somebody got killed because of your negligence or your, you know, your in, your inability to learn your job properly when the time was right to learn your job, you know? That's 100% correct because at the end of the day, if you find yourself in one of those situations where people are being injured around you or, you know, giving you know giving that last full measure, like you don't want to have to, even if they're not uh, Americans, even if they're your Afghan counterparts, you don't want to sit there and go, was this life lost in vain or was this person's injury 
because of an oversight on my part. And on my first deployment, uh, I didn't fortunately have uh, any Americans that were injured. Uh, I lost a couple Afghan partners on some patrols. And it was like, you know, it sucked. But we had done everything to, be, to, to stay safe, to effectively manage, um, you know, the uh, engagement areas and to mitigate the threat, which was, you know, the, the greatest threat to us at that time was IEDs. And uh, unfortunately, you know, some of the Afghans were killed by the IEDs, um, you know, through, through no fault of their own. The enemies, you know, they got a say in it too. And so it's all of those considerations that really put it into perspective that this is a real life or death thing that you are volunteering for. So not to get morbid with it, but you just have to take everything that, you know, you might want to do on the weekends with a grain of salt, because in the long run, the skill sets that you're developing are the most important. And I would say, you know, what skill sets are the most important? Uh, Functional fitness and being fit, I think will always be number one for me, because whether it was on my first deployment or third deployment, like patrolling with kit at elevation in Afghanistan in the mountains is like one of the most brutal suckfest things I have ever done in my entire life. And I think we'll ever do. I mean, I just remember distinctly on some infills, uh, especially uh, in the Rangers being absolutely gassed and the Rangers being gassed, but we still went on because you have to get to your objective and, it, and it's, it's brutal. Uh, the second thing I would say once you're at iBullock that you should really focus on and understand is uh, the orders process. And this will translate to when you get to ranger school. You should be able to receive a warno and minus adjusting for time with planning considerations for your route and maybe some actions on the objective. I would say within 15 minutes, you should be able to spit back a complete op board to an entire platoon, to your squad leaders, because most things in an op board aren't going to change. Like you're going to be able to go off light weather data and come up with like some really good like one-liners, how that's going to impact the mission, but you really will start to understand how that truly does impact the mission, the, the more experience that you gain. Um, but it's really important that you give your squad leaders and platoon sergeant the world of time to get ready for what will inevitably be a very difficult mission. Nothing is ever going to go 100% correct. So those are the first two things. The third and the fourth thing uh, might be a a little surprising, but number three is working radios. You should be a master on both the embedder and the ASIP. That's going to be what you use most frequently in the regular army. And then, you know, in the range regiment, we had some other radios, but the embedder was still like a staple. So knowing how to program that thing, to get an SKL, to, to load the, the keys, to know how to do all of the stuff that a combo sergeant is usually entrusted to do. You're not always going to have the, you know, the easy uh, way out with your RTO or the combo sergeant being right there to reload your radios, to know how to switch to the different channels, to manage the different channels. Like that is on you. And when I got to Fort Hood, I ran uh, a mount site for a platoon on platoon uh, training that the battalion was doing. And like, I was shocked how many NCOs in that formation could not get onto the right channels or program the channels that were also OCs. Like that was huge. And lastly, the thing that I would focus on is machine gun theory because your weapon squad leader will be the most experienced squad leader 
in your entire formation. Like that will be the guy that goes on next to be a platoon sergeant. That person is also going to be crucial for if your platoon sergeant has to go and run Kazavak to be able to step up. Uh, but they're also going to be laying down all the supporting fire that you're going to need to maneuver your elements under. And if you can't do a good set of math checks to make sure you've got enough ammo to put them in the right effective place so that you're always 15 degrees off that frontline trace of the maneuvering element, like if you don't get into the minutia of how your machine guns are in place, you're essentially just, you're not putting the effort in necessary to really take out the enemy. And most importantly, to protect that maneuvering force that's going to be really exposed as you're bounding from the LD all the way on to, you know, whatever the objective is, if that's a mount site, if that's a, an urban, uh, excuse me, same thing, uh, you know, urban uh, engagement area, or if you're, you know, in the middle of uh, the mountains in Georgia and you're, you're going and hitting some random, like, training camp, quote-unquote. Like, those are the four things I would focus on the most while you're at school, and it's probably, like, week 8 or 12 at uh, I Bullock when you finally start doing, you know, machine gun theory and uh, support by fire establishment. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that what you're saying about the radios is a great point to make and that you should be pretty much self-reliant and should be able to take care of everything that you own. So that what I mean by that is like you should be uh, not only good at your job, but able to cover down on other people's jobs as well, because you never know what could happen and that. You should never, you know, have to rely on somebody else to get something done. I think you should always have, like, at least a basic understanding of troubleshooting and figuring out how to do stuff because there's nothing, like, more, not even just from, like, a military perspective, but just, like, a life perspective. There's nothing more, like, emasculating than asking somebody else for help uh, on, like, something basic, you know? And I, that might be, like, a pride thing for me, but I think just so, like, you should be, you should be like a, ma- a jack of all trades and, you should, and be able to do everything, not just, you know, just your job. But you should be able to, you know, be able to load a radio. You should be able to clean and disassemble machine guns. You should be able to clean and disassemble your rifle. You should be able to, like, you know, take over as a squad leader to run tactical level tasks, too. You know, you should be able to do everything. But that's just kind of a personal thing that I like to do is being able to do everything. That's a, that's 100% accurate, man. That. The radios was the one for me because when I remember going through ranger school, like that was one of the tasks that you had to be a no, you know, a go or a no go at Mm -hmm. in in order to, to, you know, continue through, um, rap week. And I was like at the very end of that phase, like that was, that was like my, my one task where I was like really just fucking up trying to just put a you know simply name the channel ranger one you know and and going through that whole sequence and after that after finishing i was like i'm never gonna have this much issue again when it comes to radios because it's just really irresponsible and i remember on you know patrols in afghanistan in my first unit would be getting ready to go out someone would drop a fill or guys wouldn't know how to effectively use the radios uh inside the mraps and mat v's and you're just like like, this is my first ex- experience deployed. I know how to work these. What is your excuse as a squad leader not knowing how to set up a radio? Because I imagine almost every single squad leader has probably been an RTO because your RTO is usually one of the more experienced people, as you know, that private or that specialist that you can rely on because they've got to do so much 
for the platoon when it comes to making sure everyone has the proper channels loaded. They've got to be like right next to the platoon leader on every single mission. They've got to be able to relay information as it's happening. So the person is usually very intelligent because what they're seeing is the same thing the platoon leader's seeing, is the same thing the platoon sergeant is saying and seeing. And if the platoon leader can't jump on the radio to talk to the company or the battalion, that young private specialist is calling that stuff up and is being relied upon to give the same input as this second first lieutenant or captain. And so, like, that's not the guy you want to put all of that pressure on for your own radios. Like, you want to do good by him or her and make sure that, you know, your radio is not fucked up. And if it is, you fix it. Yeah. But just being, like, self-sufficient and being able, not being a master of everything, but at least having the basic understanding of, you know, the basic things that you need to do because there's nothing worse than like for like you're saying like showing up on target and something happens and that you're not able to do your job because you're not you just don't know how to do it yourself right it to a hundred percent it's just a you know jack of all trades master of none like sometimes that's like a negative thing don't consider it a negative thing uh when it comes to you know this instant um i would also say uh so far as like the, the troop leading procedures, you know, we just talked about, you know, preparing your op board and being successful at being able to regurgitate that. And when you get to your unit, you can make it as sexy or basic as you want uh, with, you know, time permitting. Uh, the troop leading procedures is one of those things that I feel like it was created by some staff major somewhere uh, who probably wrote like a dissertation on it. And everyone likes to add their own flavor Um, but generally I look at like, you know, the first three steps as the most important and everything that happens after that is just like extra gravy. Um, it doesn't really, it's, I wouldn't consider it, uh, paramount to your success as a young infantry officer being able to just like quote it verbatim and know every single one of the small steps, uh, within the, you know, eight step TLPs because nothing's ever going to be perfect. And a lot of that stuff comes down to the first three steps and just being articulate with, you know, what the task and purpose is, and then your guys can bounce back from there. So I I would say for those of you that coming from ROTC are like super pressed to know the TLPs, because that's just such a big part of sticks uh, for, you know, all these ROTC FTXs, it's not so much the same when you get to the regular army or the soft. It's more about the products that you put out are important. You're, you're, you know, there's not a, you're not being overly verbose. There's not surplusage. You're just, what needs to get out gets out. And generally, so long as you send out a, a war note or an order before you go execute the mission, you're good to go. Yeah. I would say like the TLPs is more of a flow process rather than a like step-by-step guide, you know? Like, if you understand that what the flow of the process is from, like, receiving the mission and, you know, issuing the warning order and blah, 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 blah. Like, once you have, it's it's like a flow. That's how the mission, like, planning a mission flows. And you can, like, move some stuff around based on, like, um, METC and whatever. But at the end of the day, like, it's just a process that you make sure that you hit all these steps so that you're able to complete, like, to, to, to make a proper plan, you know what I mean? And I think yeah, like, and that's what I like when I was young, I was kind of caught up and like, oh, I have to do it in this step by step order. But it's not really a step by step order. It's more of just like a process, a way of thinking about 
you know, th- a way of approaching the problem, not a way of like you solve every problem this way. It's just a way of like thinking through it and being able to flow through it. Yeah. I'll tell you another thing uh, to kind of switch gears here on you. I wish I had done when I was at iBullock was better meal prep and like better financial planning. Um, I'll start with the meal prep aspect first. Like I lived on post. I highly recommend people living on post when they're going to iBullock. If you're National Guard, I think you have to live on post at like Abrams Hall. Uh, but if you're, you know, going active duty, live at Norton Village, you're right next to all the gyms. Again, if you're spending your weekends like working on your uh, opboard boards and getting a ruler out and being really detailed oriented there, like you're not going to have that much time where you really want to go downtown. Uh, Independence Place is where all, you know, the, the, the junior uh, officers live. And, and sometimes you get some captains at MCCC that'll live there. And that's usually very weird. But, like, that's just, again, one of those environments where a lot of people will drink and party and they're, like, really rambunctious. And, like, I've had a ton of friends that have lived there and, you know, they're fine and successful. But you're always, like, finding out that they're drinking by the pool um, and up to just, you know, random stuff downtown because they're off post and they're not completely covered. Uh, But I wish I had done more meal prep of just, like, hey, here's some quinoa, like, Here's some meat. Here's a good source for my vegetables for the week um, that I'm going to eat and really focus on that. And, like, that translates to, like, saving money because it's the first time you're getting a paycheck. You're making a decent amount as a brand-new second lieutenant. If you're living on post with a couple of buddies, like, rent is not that much. And you can be pocketing a lot of money if you're not going out to, like, you know, uh, the cannon on the weekends or – uh, what was another restaurant that was downtown Columbus? The Loft. The loft. Yeah, going to the Loft and getting their chips and their buffalo uh, whatever chicken. Whatever they have. Di- Hell yeah. Yeah, buffalo chicken. It's, it's delicious, but like you'll get guys that are going out like twice a weekend. You, they'll go and they'll play golf, which is not inexpensive, at one of the uh, on one of the golf courses that Benning has, which Benning's golf courses are relatively nice. But it's just like you, you can save way more because I tell you what, when you finally do get to your first duty station and after you PCS and you finally get paid for that PCS, like you're going to have to start building a home. And if you're married, like you're going to want to make sure that you can get furniture for you, your wife. If you have a young kid, like that's going to be even more stressful. Uh, if you've got car pavements and, you know, you'll look at yourself a year, two years later and you're like, I don't have a lot of cash on hand. So from a budgeting perspective, I would really take a hard look and be more of a like penny pincher while you're at Bullock, even at your first duty station. Um, I did not, I wasn't reckless with my money, uh, in the least, but I didn't save nearly as much. I could have saved probably 50% more if I had just eaten more consistently, gotten a cookbook for how to eat clean, um, rather than just kind of guessing and being like, oh, I can buy these CrossFit shoes that I, I really don't need uh, for this season. Oh, I can uh, go and get all these pre-workouts like you don't need, just have coffee. It's it's that kind of stuff that you learn as you grow. Yeah. But I wish someone had told me, like, budget while you're there and let's look how much money in six months, you know, how many thousands of dollars you can put away in the bank for an engagement ring, for instance, if you if you really do love that girl from Auburn, um, or 
you know, uh, a down payment on, you know, a car if you don't want to have to finance, you know, uh, with too extreme of an amount. Yeah, I was like, that's another, that's like a, more of, a, I guess, an adulting thing, but it's also, it comes down to a discipline thing, too. Like, being, because it comes, like, as a, like, a lieutenant, that's, like, your first time as, like, an independent adult, I feel like. So, like, that's when you can learn how to, like, budget and balance a checkbook, making sure that you put away money for retirement, like, investing in an IRA, you know, putting money into a rainy, like, a rainy day fund and having the, the discipline to, like, stick to a budget and knowing to live with inside your means. Like, don't, don't be like that private that goes off, you know, and buys that Mustang at 20% interest rate, like, going off the gates. Because, like, I'm pretty sure lieutenants, I know a couple of lieutenants have done shit like that where they just don't have the understanding or the basic financial understanding. Like, read a book, you know, like, learn a little bit about finances and being able to provide, like, and then just put the, have the discipline to, like, create a budget, have the discipline to, you know, meal prep, have the discipline to do all the small things that slowly add up to having a successful, like, financially successful and, you know, a physically successful life. Yeah, I would I would highly recommend what Bobby said about going getting a basic financial planning book, whether or not you want to go to one of the many military, you know, uh, inspired type investment companies. Uh, I had first command for a while. Um, they had some issues with, you know, going on post and paying first sergeants for, uh, you know, making guys enroll with their program back in the day. And that's been like, you know, a a source before they changed their name. But my parents have had first command for the entirety of their career while they're in the military. And subsequently when they got out, um, I recently switched from them and went with another company, but whoever you go with, like they're going to do right by you because they're going to make sure that you sign up for, you know, uh, whole life insurance. Uh, they'll, they'll teach you the difference between whole life and term life insurance. If you're married, if you're thinking about getting married, it's always something that you can have because SGLI is great. But once you get out of the military, like you're going to lose that and you can get VGLI, but it gets exceedingly more expensive the older that you get to the point where there's almost no point in having it. Uh, it's going to cost you over a thousand dollars a month. Uh, in some cases, And, you know, putting money away again for like that rainy day, like I want to put 20% of my money away in in some long-term investment and getting a Roth IRA. It's like, that's the kind of stuff that these companies do a really great job at. And so like, I know I just shit on first command, but let me tell you some of the other stuff that you can get with a first command like company. First command is going to be around at every single one of the major military installations. You will get like a different financial advisor assigned to you when you PCS. So someone will always meet with you to talk about your money. Um, so that's like one of the benefits of going with like a company like First Command. Um, the I would say the downside to a company like First Command is something that I caught on to was most of the people that are your financial advisors, and you're going to see this for all the you know junior captains out there. They typically tend to be guys that have gotten out of the military and they're doing financial planning. So if you want your money managed by someone who's only three or four years older than you, who likely could be you in a couple years, if like you don't really plan effectively for getting out of the military and using like, you know, a good skill set, like those are the guys that are going to be identifying like the market trends if you want to rely on them for how your money is going to be spent. So like those are some pluses and some minuses of going with like a military kind of veteran USAA like 
investment company versus either doing it on your own because you've got a degree in it, and I would only recommend doing it if you have a degree in it, uh, or going with a, a larger, you know, nationally recognized civilian firm. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I would throw on top of that just like just having just putting some time in and learning a little bit about personal finance. Like I bought a like a personal finance for dummies book when I graduated, like it, when I was in college still, and I read through that and learned like a little bit about a little bit about everything about financially. So like when I was in the army, I was like putting away like fifteen twenty thousand dollars a year uh, through investments, and was able to grow that into like a pretty decent retirement account. So it's just like if you have the dis- it's like having discipline to like you know plan for the future and putting money away and 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 really like thinking about it too. And then nowadays, especially with like BRS, like the blended retirement system, like you should be maximizing your matching contributions to the army and being able to maximize everything through that because there's a lot of great benefits in BRS um, to, to, to like in terms of matching and then like getting some other um, incentives as well from that. So like do the research, put the time in to like learn a little bit about your finances. Don't fall behind the eight ball. You know, don't get behind don't get don't fall behind in your like your loans your student loan payments your car payments mortgages what have you stay on top of your finances because you know when you're young it's very easy to fall in that trap of you know this is a future future me problem but you know saving like starting saving at 20 you know you reach you know a million dollars at like 40 or 50 or whatever but if you start at 30 you know it takes like 10 years longer to get that amount so you grow exponentially. The but so the sooner you start, the, the sooner you, the faster your money grows. Um, the sooner you start. I've, yeah, I feel like this is now like a I know. how to adult. I know. Uh, if you're also <laughs> now now that we're on it, uh, you know, for all the the eyebolic, uh guys and girls out there too, like once you start making some money, and if you don't have a car or you want to upgrade your car, uh, I would highly recommend not doing that, in the slightest. Uh, here's what I'll say about, again, my experiences and some things I, I wish I had done as a junior officer coming out of iBullock. Uh, I had a car. It was completely fine. Uh, it was a couple years old. And within like a year of graduating, I was like, I want to upgrade this because you're like, oh, I'm making a decent amount of money. You know, um, I wanted to get like a, a forerunner. And I was like, well, then, okay, well, then I wanted to get a, a VW Passat, both cars that I absolutely loved. Uh, I got rid of the Passat because of the, the recall and the Forerunner for other reasons. I had like a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Like you just find yourself getting cars that are probably like ten to $20,000 outside of the real price range that you should be looking at. And you'll see a lot of like junior officers with the Audis because, again, if they don't have any other uh, life commitments – whether it's family or kids or dogs, uh, they'll spend money on things that they don't necessarily mean need. Uh, big big ass trucks. Uh, I had a, a buddy that got like a tricked out F one hundred and fifty because he didn't have to pay rent because he moved out before our first deployment, and you know saved like fifty to sixty k over the deployment because he had no bills, and then essentially just dropped it all onto his truck that he had payments for. And you're like, damn, like that 50 or 60K, I think it's like every seven or nine years, your money doubles if it just sits there in an account, in an investment account. Like that would have been now almost 10 years later, so much more money. Mm -hmm. You know, it could have done so much more with it. So like 
I'd, I'd recommend buying used. If you want like that cool Jeep Grand Cherokee 4x4, like spend $19,000, $20,000 for like a couple year old model. Uh, if you want to buy a car that has a diesel engine, diesel engines typically don't break in until around 100,000 miles anyway. So maybe for some cosmetic stuff, like a used car is, I think, going to be the way to go. I will, I will never buy a new car again. I will always buy used because I don't have a car any longer. And I've had, I think, five or six through the last eight years uh, between like upgrading them personally um, or with my ex and like, you know, do we want this car? Yeah, we should get this car. It's like, Jesus, like, I don't think we've, it's like, I, I think I've moved 10 times in the last eight years. Uh, and, you know, I've had almost as many cars because of different issues uh, and different circumstances. It's just like, that's just a lot of money that you throw out the door. So, you know, it's just another financial thing to think about. Yeah, I don't want to keep harping on, like, the financial stuff. Um, but, like, I bought my truck new, but my truck's also six years old and has less than 60,000 miles on it, too. So, like, I, I'm also I'm a firm believer in buying cars new and then driving them until they break. Uh, whether that's, like, 100 or 150,000 or 200,000 miles, you just drive, you buy a car new and you drive that bitch until it can't run anymore. And that's how your money's worth out of a car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Uh, let's see. Anything more on eye bullock stuff? Yeah, uh, someone asked uh, what daily routines or habits you would recommend adopting. Um, we kind of talked about the meal prepping, talked about fitness. I would say definitely having the also the discipline of getting good night's sleep and going to bed at, and getting a good night's sleep every night. Um, getting into that habit. Getting the habit of reading, um, not necessarily for pleasure, but just reading in general. I didn't really start uh, getting deep into like reading, like um, reading for learning. So I was reading, I just did a lot of reading for pleasure until like the last couple of years. And then I started reading more into like nonfiction and like psychology books. And it's really started changing a lot of my um, view on a lot of things and my perspective on a lot of things. So I would recommend um, starting to read um, earlier, uh, reading for both pleasure and for um, education, you know going to sleep, knowing how to like get a good night's sleep, um, being able to, um, have like a daily routine, like building routines, building good habits. Cause you know, starting your habits early is going to be the best way to ensuring the habits survive and last into adulthood. It's great on reading, man. Uh, I always brought a book out to the field on every single FTX at iBullock and there is a ton of downtime between like when lanes are starting, uh, if you have like a couple hours and you can do whatever you can work, you definitely get a lot of workouts in out in the field. Like I remember how sweaty and disgusting I was, but I just, it's like, whatever, we're only going to be out here five to 10 days. Um, I read through the Hyperion series, uh, while I was there and then read it again on some deployments just cause I love it. I think it's the, it's my favorite book series, uh, ever. So like bring a book, uh, get good sleep um, for my daily routine, I did fitness in the morning with the platoon because that was a requirement. Mostly it was, well, mostly it was all body weight stuff and kind of just basic ranger school prep. And then in the evening is when I went uh, to work out. I pretty much exclusively only worked out at Smith Gym. Again, because one of those things that I didn't really feel comfortable going to Audie Murphy because I really wasn't into like CrossFit or Olympic lifting. And also didn't want to show my face uh, 
you know, in a, an environment where a lot of people had done way more than I had and had already achieved more. I felt that was like one of those, like, I don't want to join the varsity house until I can play varsity, um, which you don't have to do because there were some uh, eyeball lieutenants and, and rugby players uh, from West Point when I was at MCCC uh, that kind of inspired getting Cronus fit off the ground once I got to Fort Carson because I saw them getting after it and doing the right thing. It was like, all right, I think it's just uh, some people don't have quite the the opportunities uh, that others have when it comes to fitness programming, like you know these guys uh, off the rugby team did, and they were they were awesome. So get after it on the weekends too when it comes to fitness. Um, you know if you have a, a favorite program, uh, I can't remember what I was doing for my program. I don't even know if they're around anymore. Um, but like Saturdays were always like a really grueling, suck just fest. brutal, awful suck fest. And it would be like, all right, I'm going to work out for probably an hour and a half to two hours and absolutely crush myself. And the rest of the day, I'm going to be sitting there and making my platoon op board. And, you know, you got it's like an arts and crafts period. And uh, you're going to get that assignment two to three weeks before it's due. There's no reason that it shouldn't be done within the first weekend or the second weekend. You'll have people that rush and then those people don't finish top 10 percent. So, like, long story short, just use your time effectively and try to get ahead because you're going to have a lot of it taken away once you get to the field and you're not going to be able to make up those lost PT hours uh, by not coming physically fit already. And then to add on top of that, I would also say to network a little bit with your peers, you know, make good friends, uh, form a crew, um, you know, like attracts like. So if you put out the vibe that you're a savage and that, you know, savages attract savages. So, uh, you know, if you're, you want to like attracts like, so your personality, you want to find guys similar to the same personality that have the same goals as you that are going to motivate, keep each other accountable and keep each other, you know, on top of they're doing the right thing. Yeah. And if you're active duty, uh, there was a huge divide between the active duty people and the national guard guys. Uh, in general, a lot of the active duty guys look down on the national guard uh, lieutenants because either they didn't finish high enough to get active duty in ROTC or, you know, they wanted to pursue something else in their life. Uh, you know, and the national guard was some way that they could continue serving. Uh, but I would say while I was at Ibolic, there was not a huge difference between the average active duty officer and the average national guard officer. Uh, it doesn't become apparent, I think, until you get to MCCC where, you know, those weekends really don't add up to the experience that, you know, the active duty uh, has, you know, four or five, six years into service. So while you're at iBullock, don't discount your National Guard peers simply because they decided to, you know, serve in a different capacity. Because if you want to talk shit on them uh, because they don't have their Ranger tab or they're not going to Ranger school, that's really often not a result of their lack of initiative. Uh, that's all coming out of state funds. So if you're active duty, going to ranger school is incredibly easy because it's just coming out of, you know, the big taxpayer dollars. For these National Guard guys to go to ranger school, that's coming out of state funds that it's already costing them a decent amount to send this lieutenant to Ibullock, uh to put them up in housing. And then you're going to try to convince the state that it's worth a couple thousand dollars more every single month to send a guy to a school with like a 30% pass rate. 
you know, a lot of times the states will just say that's not within our budget and, you know, very rarely unless it's coming from a big National Guard unit like what you've got up in uh, the bloody bucket in Pennsylvania, you're likely not ever going to get a slot as a National Guard officer. So don't shit on those guys. Uh, You haven't earned anything yet. You know, five or six years down the line, if you want to shit on them for, you know, the choices that they made, that's on you. And, and again, we talked about, you know, uh, hating mediocrity or hating people that are getting after it. Um, just keep all of what we said in mind about that. Yeah, I mean, you generally shouldn't, you really shouldn't shit on anybody in general because, I mean, you're all the same level at that point. There's nothing differentiating you from the other your peers as a second lieutenant. And then, but like once you start differentiating yourself from others, then you might earn the, you haven't earned the right to talk shit yet, put it that way. No, not at all. Um, it's the same reason again. I didn't go out downtown because, God forbid, you run into an MCCC guy, bad boy, uh, a, a guy from Ranger Regiment, um, you know, other other lieutenants that are a couple months ahead of you. I remember that was that hurt the most. I got to Ibolic in February. And there was already two classes of iBullet graduates from Ranger School. Uh, the earliest you could have graduated from Ranger School was like right before Christmas and then in January. And so showing up and seeing all of these brand new second lieutenants with their hair growing back with Ranger tabs, knowing that I still had to go through my entire iBullet experience and then Ranger School, you know, when I was going to be at least eight to nine months behind them. That was like a kick in the dick that I will never forget. And that that's very humbling no matter how fit you are because those people have done it. Um, don't ask like common questions that like, hey, was the RPFT really hard? Did they really cut you on the push-ups? Hey, oh what, what, was, what was ranger school like? Don't ask stupid shit like that. Just you know how hard it is physically. Don't fail the RPFT. Train so you don't have to be concerned about fitness. And literally don't show up and like, put fucking earmuffs on and just blank out everything everyone says. Like, I think Ranger School is one of those things, if you're an infantry officer that's gone through iBullock and you're fit, there is literally zero excuse for failure because that course is taught to, like, the lowest common denominator of the guys that really need their Ranger tabs. And those are the, the junior enlisted dudes from regiment, that that's how they progress. So it's not like they're teaching rocket science here. They're teaching the basics of patrolling, which you just got a 16-week in-depth course on. Uh, and these rangers got, like, you know, a couple weeks at cert and then are picking the stuff up, you know, while they're executing raids in Afghanistan and then getting some training from squad leaders outside of all the other important shit, the real-life shit that they're dealing with. So just keep that in mind. If you fail iBullock mentally, that says a lot more about you than it says about the school's inability to teach you. And if you don't show up physically fit, that is all on you. Nobody's cutting your push-ups because they just don't have class size, okay? Like, Bobby and I have both had friends that have been our eyes. That's not a thing. Yeah. Like, peop- like I was in a gigantic class because Best Ranger... Uh, had happened, and so there were a ton of recycles. There were a ton of guys that got pushed. They let all that happen. Like, you just might get fewer looks, but it's still just as competitive. They, they, they want more Rangers in the Army because that means that there's going to be more RIs in the future and more guys that can go and promulgate the great things you learn at that school. So don't ever make excuses for, like, your personal failures in the military if you're coming from my bullet because I swear to God they set you up for success. 
if you take the time and you learn and you put the, the effort in, you're going to be successful. At the end of the day, you will be successful and pass that course. Yeah, I just hate the guys that try and say that they uh, that the RIs had it against them. Like, I'm pretty sure the RIs don't give a fuck who you are. They just want to have Rangers. They want they RIs want you to pass at the end of the day. You know what I mean? They want you to get a Ranger tab. It's up to you to fucking earn the Ranger tab. Oh, I had some phenomenal RIs, like Florida RIs. I think the last thing we can cover today is like the difference in the RIs since we're on iBook and people freak out about it. Fourth uh, RTB probably has some of the strictest RIs because, you know, Benning. they're they're at Benning. You're wearing a tan beret with the wrong flash, uh, and you're dealing with a ton of students that are literally just coming there and just getting their feet wet. And it's the first time, you know, they're learning a lot of some of this in-depth, you know, squad level uh, stuff. Um, the guys in mountains are pretty laid back, but again, they're, they're keeping your feet to the fire because that's the first time you're going to do platoon level tactics and, you know, your longer FTXs and you're going to learn some really cool stuff about mountaineering that you otherwise will probably never get to experience in your career. And then the Florida RIs are the most laid back, the chillest dudes, because that's where you put it all together. If you miss like a couple steps, like we said in the TLPs or, you know, different parts of the upward process, they're not going to ding you unless your plan is complete garbage. They're not going to fail you on a patrol unless you really have some sort of like fratricide event. You don't seize the initiative. You get like utterly lost. You don't take command uh, when you're in a leadership position or you're just like a booger eater. So like the, the differences in our eyes are pretty drastic, but in general, almost every single RI I've ever met, whether it's at fourth, fifth or six RTB are phenomenal soldiers and phenomenal rangers because they're at a schoolhouse designed to better the military. So always remember that. Like, they could be yelling at you, screaming at you. There's a purpose behind everything, and it's rehearsed, and they're going to make sure that you're going to be put under stress because it's in stressful situations uh, that, you know, you really find out how strong you are. It's like uh, Phyllis Schlafly in this stupid fucking Mrs. America show that I've been binging. says, like, you don't know the strength of tea until you put it in hot water. Like that's the exact same thing when you get to ranger school, just take everything and, you know, enjoy it. Know that, you know, 62 days from that first moment you're getting screamed at, you're going to be graduating. And then eventually you might be serving with these guys. My, uh, my, uh, one of the fellow platoon sergeants, uh, in my first unit was an RI that I remember from Florida. And like, I had such fond memories of serving with him after going through ranger school and knowing that he was an RI because it's like you're bonding over that same shared experience that sucked that he went through at some point and then he tried to make sure that you got while you were there. So it's it's very all like temporal. Do not get offended by anything that happens at that school. You're going to be fine. And just remember the RIs are there for a reason. Most A lot of them volunteered for it and because they want to make you better. Yeah, I think the biggest uh, bit of advice that I got from ra- to do well at Ranger School is to treat it like real life. Like, um, if you approach like the missions that you run at Ranger School and some of the shit that you do at Ranger School f- from like a real life perspective, like I think that really helps you make it and treat it like a take it seriously. You know, like if you treat it like it's just a check the box to get a Ranger tab, like you have to one earn the Ranger tab, and two in order to earn the Ranger tab, you gotta treat it like it's real life because like. You know, you wouldn't do some of the shit that you do at Ranger School. Like, you, you wouldn't try pulling some of the shit in real life that you would that you that you would try and do in Ranger School if you're tired. You know, because you like to, people like to cut. Well, 
everybody wants to cut corners in ranger school because you're tired, you're hungry, you're cold. But, I mean, if it was life and death, like in real life and in Afghanistan, you wouldn't be cutting corners like that. So just treat it like real life. And I think if you treat it like real life and treat your men like real men and like your real subordinates, you'll you'll succeed because you, you actually do care rather than you you just want to get, get a ranger tab. That's all about the real life experience. One of uh, my RIs in Mar- mountains uh, was a young private in Iraq, uh, and his uh, squad leader ended up being one of our platoon trainers at Ibolic. And he told us a story when he found out that we had all just graduated from the same, like, Ibolic uh, platoon trainer, saying, you know, his first experience deployed, uh, he was on a, on a 240, and they were setting up a linear ambush, and we were uh, getting ready to set up a linear ambush in mountains. And he goes, you know, I never thought that the experiences I had in Iraq would translate here, but I remember, you know, in, in my this, this uh, Sergeant First Class, who is our you know, platoon NCOIC trainer, uh, told this young soldier turned ranger, like, hey, like, you need a hammer on. This is the count that you need. And I want you to think of every single round that's coming out of that barrel of the gun as being like a death sentence. So be accountable for all of your rounds. And he's like, you guys should, keep, should be considering that when you're sitting here on a sport by fire, even though they're blanks you should know that every single time you pull the trigger and you're pulling it back, that someone could die. And so from there on, every single linear ambush we set up, if I was on a machine gun or a weapon, I made sure I'm looking down the sights and I'm like, I know exactly where every single one of these like fake rounds would land. And so like you never know exactly how big the Army network is until you really start meeting people. And people that care will always leave a very positive impact on you because it means more than just being selfish on their own career and their ambitions. Like they're trying to pass stuff off onto you. So the RIs are phenomenal people. If you can volunteer to be one one day, I highly recommend doing it. Um, my buddies that have, have gone and done it have all loved uh, serving in the RTB and, 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 you know, getting that next generation of Ranger going. Yeah. At the end of the day, the, the RIs want you to become a Ranger. They want you to get your tab. It's ultimately up to you to earn the right to wear that tab, not for them to give it to you. Yeah. My, my buddy, Teddy loved, loved being an RI, you know, Teddy, he's, you know, he absolutely uh, got a ton out of it. And especially again, for all of those, now we switched from my bullock to triple C real quick. If you have an opportunity post triple C uh, to go do something like that, that will set you up so well to be a company commander because you're going to relearn all of those tools that the RIs are passing off on how to do platoon level uh, training, platoon level uh, uh, lanes, that you can go set that up as a company commander and get your guys a quasi ranger school experience and speak with the same expertise that the RIs speak to so that you know, you just have a more proficient company than, you know, what you took over. So, like, they're, they're do great stuff out of the RTB. Like, it's a phenomenal organization. Yeah. I, I was actually thinking about this the other day. I wish I could go back and thank the RIs uh, that had, like, an impact on me because there's a couple of RIs. That I, can, I, I don't remember their names, but I can picture their faces. And I could, if I could go back and just say, like, thank you for not taking it easy on me and thank you for, like, making me earn my Ranger tab. Because, like, nobody, like, it, it matters more once you earn something rather than something's given to you. And I actually do remember during ranger school, like, just, like, hoping, like, oh, just please just give me the, just give me, you know, give me my go. But, like, you don't want to give be given a go because, you, you know, at the end of the day, you don't respect what you don't earn. So if you're given something, you don't respect it. 
but like once once you earn your ranger tab it just makes it you know once you earn your go it makes it so much more worthwhile and meaningful once you once you earn it versus just just getting it or getting the participation trophy so i just wish i could go back and or, or just i hope that i can run into some of the ris i had and just say you know thank you for for what you've done for me because you know you trained me to become to graduate become a ranger which then led to me you know becoming you know going to reg regiment which then led to me becoming a doctor so you know it's it's, it's kind of cool thinking like i'm sure like the, a lot of our eyes think about that that they have such a large impact on the army and the future of the army and the future of the military because the people that they're training are going to become like future you know like rangers green berets what have you yeah 100 percent. so i think that's a really good good spot to probably leave it on yeah. today so for all the eye bullet guys and fa bullet guys that got something out of it um i hope you took something away uh, hit us up if we didn't answer you know one of the questions uh, we, we had a lot that were thrown our way and we tried to hit all of them um but if you've got like other questions uh maybe about like m triple c uh or you know what it's like being um uh, a fire support officer you know hit us up and, and, and we'll try to carry on these conversations. Otherwise next week we'll get back to some of the more regularly scheduled, uh, you know, life talks, uh, that we've, we've grown fond of, uh, in the last couple months. For sure. And then just a couple of quick announcements. We have our new charity of the month. It is, um, what is it called again, Sean? Sorry. You, you go ahead and you can tell us about it. Oh, uh, it's called advocates for children. Um, so, Advocates for Children uh, is focusing on the the kids. It's focused here in New York City who are at the greatest risk for like school based discrimination, and and that's a result of uh, some of the, the different financial backgrounds uh, the kids have, um, their immigration status, their English proficiency, um, homelessness is a huge one, and if they're in you know like the juvenile uh, system. Uh, or you know in a in a shelter uh, so just trying to to give back because I think one of the great things that separates us from you know some of the third world countries is the fact that we make education such a priority at such a young age and like that power and ability to read goes such a long way that we take for granted here in America uh, so just trying to give back to a population that could really benefit um, you know from support and growing our country is 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 what got me into into finding these guys yeah and i think uh that'll wrap it up for this week i don't have any other announcements besides uh uh i will be next time you guys will listen to my voice i will be on the road uh so hopefully if you guys are out at lewis uh at fort lewis or in the northwest and want to throw down or hang out feel free to hit us up you know i'm always down to hang out and to throw down with some other of the crew so yeah same if you're here in new york city and want to go on a long run hit me up all right guys we'll end up with that uh until next time guys peace later